Well, listen, uh, it's always good to be with you, it, especially as we come together, whether you are here in this uh, worship space or whether you're at home, um, it's always good to have you, isn't it? It's always great to be uh, in worship and, and encouraging and getting to know God and, and growing in our faith, uh, and it's so important to just um, um, have that opportunity of centering, of singing praises, of learning and, and yearning, so to speak. We've been in a series called... Um, uh, fear less. And today I want to talk about a, a subject that uh, we don't like to talk about, or at least some don't like to talk about, but it's, it's a part of life and it's, a, it's death. And uh, so we're going to talk about how we can fear death less today. Uh, I hope that um, as we complete today and, and as you go home, that's an opportunity for you to think about, you know, some things that we, that we talk about, some things that maybe you've learned about how to treat or how to handle death, or maybe look at death in a different way, because more importantly, it's, 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 it's getting us the ability to uh, look beyond what death is in this life and seeing a bigger picture. So uh, I hope that today's message, I hope today's time together uh, generates questions for you. If, if you have some questions um, after today, anytime during the week, if you want to engage in a conversation, feel free to do that. Send me an email at the, at the church. Uh, you can also send it at church at stpaulumc.org or to my personal email, bob.m at stpaulumc.org. Happy to engage in that, not just in today's message, but, but anytime that we talk about that. Well, listen, I, I realize how few people um, are ready to die. A couple of uh, years ago, about a year and a half ago, I should say, Patty and I met with our attorney, and we wanted to get all of our affairs uh, in, into, put into place. And we're, we're still young people. She's younger, but I mean, I still like to think I'm, I'm a younger person. And, and it was funny because when the attorney was finished uh, putting together all of our thing, they looked at us and said, okay, now you're ready to die. So I guess that meant that we had everything in order of the things that we needed. But, but people don't like to talk about death. Most folks I know um, aren't preparing themselves to have those conversations. In fact, most people aren't preparing for the day of death. Uh, there's a couple things that happen in our lives that, that uh, expedite us looking into that, right? There's, uh, there's those times where, where uh, we might get word from a doctor that, that maybe we only have weeks left to live. That's going to certainly get us thinking about death. Uh, maybe you've been in a situation with a loved one who has been put on life support, and, and the medical personnel come in, and they're, they're asking the questions, do you want to continue this artificial life support, or do you want to go ahead and stop all those means? You think about death. If you've ever been in an auto accident, especially like a really bad one, not, not a fender bender, but a really bad one where you take a step back and you look, and your car's been totaled, and maybe you had flashes of, of what death might have been in those instances. So sometimes it's like transaction or situational things that hit us that we're not really sure. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I found myself in a, a very precarious situation. And it was one of those situations where um, I really believe God had worked a miracle. I wanted to go see a friend of ours, um, and they were in an assisted living facility. And they were on lockdown and lots of things like a lot of the facilities are today. But, but I think God really opened the door for, for me to be able to go visit with her on a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, this is a person who's full of life. Uh, uh, she was an individual that uh, you would look and say, okay, that's a person who really loves life. She was witty. She was intelligent. Uh, she had great jokes to tell. Uh, she loved us as friends, which is always big in my book, if you love me as a friend. I mean, that's, that's kind of a big thing. And uh, so, so I got there, and I was hoping to kind of have one of those visits where, where I could help pick her up a little bit, help her to kind of... Um, uh, see that uh, she was going to get through some of the challenges that she was in. And what I found was not at all what I expected. What I found was, was a person who was near death. 
I mean, her gaze was fixed, her pupils were starting to dilate, all those signs that we know that when the time is coming, it was there. And, 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 and I just spent my time reading scripture to her. I, I spent time just reminding her how grateful I was of, of her friendship. I told her how much I loved her and, and, and how I really felt like God had blessed me and my family because God had placed her in our life. And I strugged her, stru, uh, her forehead and, and just touched her and, and kissed her on the forehead, which was um, common for us to do. And I remember the last words I said to her. Um, I said, you know, God be with you until we meet again. And I, and I left and I got out in my car and I was so overwhelmed with emotion. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with emotion that you just find yourself weeping? Does that ever happen? I mean, I don't know what causes that, or maybe it's something that's like, you know, triggered inside or just something you're holding on to. But it's one of those moments where I got in my car and I didn't know what to do. I just, I just started weeping uncontrollably. And, and I was sitting there thinking about all these years that we have been great friends, and now I realized that was the last time on this earth that I would see her. And as I was thinking about those things, uh, things kept going through my mind. And one of the things that went through my mind was, uh, you know, uh, how a friend told me, you know, hey, as a pastor, you're not supposed to lose it like that. You're not supposed to, like, cry, and, and you're supposed to talk about hope and life, and, and especially in those midst of death. And, and I, you know, I just, I don't know. You know, I, I sat there and I thought about it. I thought, you know, Jesus wept. He wept at the bed or at the, the tomb of his friend Lazarus when Lazarus died. And so I, I understand that, that death is part of life. And I think the thing that I'm hoping we can connect with today is that, that whereas we might love life today as we know it and see it and experience it and, and the greater joys that come, I think it's important for us to see that this isn't all. This isn't the end. This is just a mere uh, beginning of something that God has planned that's eternal and even greater. So, so the hope today is that we can uh, come to that spot where, where we can kind of take what we think about death and all of the mysterious things that circle that, all the fears that circle about that, that we can actually see and have strength, that we can face death not in fear, but with hope and life and encouragement. Uh, many fear death, and it, and it brings to many anxiety. And we, we struggle with things like the, the when and the where and the how. And we, we wonder, well, when will it happen? Where will I be? And uh, will I have on clean underwear? My mom always told me that. When you, make sure you get clean underwear when you leave the house. You never know something bad's going to happen. I don't know why she ever said that. Some of y'all are carrying on. Maybe your parents said the same thing. I don't know. But, but we wonder about the where, the how, and the why, and all those things. And death really is no laughing matter. And for some of us, death is one of those things that paralyzes us with fear. It's just perplexing. And it's out there. Um, Aristotle called death the thing to be feared most because he said it appears to be the end of everything. It's the thing to fear the most because it appears to be the end of everything. That's what Aristotle said. Jean-Paul Sartre asserted that death removes all meaning from life. So Sartre said that, that, that when you think about death, life no longer has meaning. Then there was a, the pessimist French philosopher, Francois Rabelais. Uh, he was equally as cold in his comments. He made this sentence his final one. His last words on earth, he says, I'm going to the great perhaps. I mean, listen to these things. I mean, even Shakespeare. Shakespeare kind of made us wonder a little bit about that too. In the last line in Hamlet, Shakespeare is talking about what we can expect on the other side. And Hamlet says, the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. I mean, it sounds so final. 
I mean, who, who wants to live into those kind of words? And, and, and who wants to look at death with some sense of encouragement? Remember earlier I said that, that, that death is, or this life is actually not the end. It's something that's precursing or preceding something else. So, so who would want to face death bravely uh, and, and listen to these words of these philosophers? And it makes me wonder, what if the philosophers are wrong? What if in all their great minds, what if in all their great thoughts, what if in all of their uh, postulating, uh, postulating all these things, what if they had it wrong? What if death isn't the end? What if death is just like the next dimension? What if death isn't like the end of the road, but a turn in the corner to something that's coming new? And, and that's kind of where we find ourselves today in this story of, of Jesus and also with a psalm. Max Licato, or Licato he's, a, he's a great uh, writer, Christian writer. He puts it this way. He says, what if the cemetery is not the dominion of the grim reaper, but the domain of the soul keeper, who will someday announce, O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy. You see, this is kind of where we're going to find ourselves. I'm going to work out a Psalm 23 today, and I'm going to work out a John 14, verses 1 and 4. So those are the two texts that we're going to teach from. And when we go to Psalm 23, we find out that David is, is trying to say to us that death is not the end, but, but more importantly, that, that God is very much involved in that space when we are coming in the midst of death. David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So the first thing that, that David says to us in the psalm is, is that we should not fear death. We should not fear death. We should not fear evil. We should not fear anything that separates us out there. And we'll learn what the Apostle Paul says in just a second. But, but David is, is pulling us to that point. And so, so if David says, don't fear, then why do we? Why do we? I think we fear death for two reasons. The first reason is we, we fear the uncertainty of what happens. I mean, outside of just a couple of the stories that sometimes, are they true, aren't they true? Do they sell great books or, you know, is it, what is it? You know, somebody will say that they've died and come back and they want to tell the story. Maybe some of those are true, maybe some of them aren't. I don't know. But most of the people that I know don't ever come back. So it kind of, so, so it's uncertainty, what's out there? The second reason I think why we fear death is that for many of us, we feel like we have unfinished business with God. That maybe we're just not right with God yet. So as long as I'm not right with God yet, then I have to make sure that I'm working to make things better. Jesus has something to say. So, so when we think about what happens when we die, here's Jesus' promise in John's gospel. Chapter 14, verses 1-4. Don't let this throw you. So what is Jesus doing? So Jesus is, is meeting with his disciples this begins what we call the farewell discourse. This is the first part of the farewell discourse of Jesus saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to his disciples. He's, we see it in the scriptures. He's saying goodbye to us. He's trying to help them to understand that death is coming, but most importantly, don't worry about him. But here's God's assurance for you, okay? So he says, don't let this throw you. So don't let my death throw you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There's plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? So some of us, you know, one translation says, in my father's house are many mansions, or in my father's mansion are many rooms or many houses. All these translations are a little bit different from there. This isn't a physical space, folks. It means that the heart of God is big enough, and the dwelling of God, and the presence of God is big enough for all to be a part of. 
So nobody gets left out in a sense that, that, that God has chosen to prepare a place for everybody. And hopefully we choose to accept that chosen place. So Jesus is talking as he says, and if, I'm, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get come back and get you because where I live, you are going to be as well. So the disciples have, have entered Jerusalem probably for the last time. They find themselves in the midst of this uh, sad story that Jesus is telling. They're not really sure what to expect next. Peter, uh, before, um, before Philip, Philip asks a little bit later in John 14, uh, chapter one, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're going, show us the way. Um, and then that's when Jesus gets into his uh, I am statements. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But Peter, early on in, in John 13, uh, says this, Master, where, where are you going? You know, this whole death thing, where, why, what do you mean you're leaving? You're going to die? What, what does that mean? And Peter struggles with that. So some debate the importance of this exchange. Some will debate that, that Jesus' point in, in making this statement, that Jesus is trying to tell the believer that the believer, it's all on your shoulders, that you have to do something. But what we find is, is that Jesus isn't really challenging the believer that you have to do something. What Jesus is saying is what God has already done. See, that's the difference in all the world religions. When we take a look at Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, all those different things, those are religions of do. It's everything that the disciple or the follower has to do in order to earn favor with God. Christianity doesn't do that. It doesn't teach that. Christianity is the only world religion that's not a do religion. It's a done religion. It means that God is the one who is acting. God has done. So before you believe in God, before you trust in Jesus, before you love Jesus, it doesn't stop God from already making that sacrifice for you. And it doesn't stop God from already loving you and calling you into his presence. It's what we call prevenient grace. The grace that precedes that. So God has done. So, so this dialogue, what Jesus is saying is, is it's not really what, what's about you. It's what I've done. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm coming back for you. I am going to the cross. I'm going to die. You see how this works? It's, it's huge when we think about in the Gospel of John. We learn a couple of things about death, and I just want to share these. If you want to um, write some notes down, here's a couple of, of thoughts from there. The power of death has been destroyed. So the power of death has been destroyed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, oh death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Paul was saying that basically Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, that Jesus eliminated all the evil that comes out of death, all of the mystery that comes out of death. How do we know this is true? We celebrate it on Easter Sunday. We celebrate it every day that Christ rose from the dead. And Paul is very quick because he was dealing with a, a very cerebral people in, in the, the city of Corinth. And Paul says to them, as he gets into his uh, Jesus dialogue here, and he's saying to them, and he's stepping them through the steps of who Jesus was in the resurrection. And ultimately, Paul says, on the third day he arose from the dead. They found the tomb empty, the crux of what we place our faith in. But then he says, not only that, but for the next 40 days, Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And Paul says, therefore, the power of death has been destroyed because Jesus Christ has destroyed it and now lives. Here's the second thing we learn about death. Death is a journey, not a destination. It's a journey. Let's go back to Psalm 23. David writes, though I walk 
through the valley of death. It doesn't say as I walk in it. He says as I walk through it. So, so what that tells us is that David knows that, that death is something that we must walk through to get to life. Think about the seasons. Think about the way that God has, has orchestrated our world. Look at the seasons of summer, spring, or spring, summer, fall, and winter. And you see that the things come to new life, and then things mature, and then things die. And those same things that die come back to life in the spring with the cycles that come. So, so David is saying, just as that is, we must walk through the valley. But we can't forecast the wind. We can't forecast when it will happen, or how, or why. And too many of us spend too much of our precious time doing that. We try to count it down, so to speak. And this is the important part about why death is a journey and it's not a destination, because God did not create us to focus solely on death. God created us to live life. Death will come, but we are called to live life, and therefore by living life, we come into the presence of God. Death is lonely, here's the third one, death is lonely, but you're never alone. Death is lonely, but you're never alone. If we go back to John 14, Jesus said, I will not only go to prepare a place for you, but I will what? I will come back to you. I will come back for you. It's this personal invitation. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this miracle of Peter walking on water, the disciples in the boat, Jesus on shore. The storm comes up. They call out. Jesus walks on the water. And remember, one of the things I said is that God comes to us. The creator always comes to the created. So God doesn't wait on us. So Jesus says, I don't go there and, and set up shop and wait and hope that you're there. He says, I'm coming back personally for you. That when that moment comes, you're not alone. That I am with you in my glory. I find it really interesting that Luke writes about this in chapter 23. And Luke talks about this um, very disturbing scene with Jesus and the two thieves on the cross. Now, granted, Jesus has been scourged. He's been whipped. He's, I mean, he, he, his body is physically destroyed. He is struggling. He's, he's suffocating on the cross because that's what the cross did was that as long as a person could muster the strength to push up on their, their legs, the diaphragm would open, they could breathe. And as time went on, their muscles began to, to tense and they lose strength. They would uh, scrooch down and they would end up suffocating. So that's how you died by crucifixion was by suffocation. And so Jesus is on the cross between two thieves. And there's this dialogue that's going back and forth between the two. It's almost like they're fighting, the two thieves. And one of them's getting real nasty. And one of them is just, is just you know, not getting it. And, and he starts harassing Jesus. He looks at Jesus. He says, well, if you're the Messiah, then why don't you do something about this? If you really are God, then get us out of this situation. If you are really all-powerful and who you say you are, then you can free us from all of this. And the other thief says something different. The other thief says to the thief who's chastising Jesus, the other thief says, leave him alone. He's not getting what he deserves, but we're getting what we deserve. And then there's this change. The second thief looks at Jesus on the cross, and he says these words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So, so even in that moment of death, 
So he knows that now that death is coming, and he's calling out to the one who he now knows to be Lord and Savior, Messiah. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I don't want to stand at death's door and be alone. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you see the personal connection with that? Do you see the personal attachment that God does not leave us alone, but the power of God is there? Let's go back to David's 23rd Psalm, and let's revisit these words. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, It's not on the screen. I I want you to, to, to be an auditory learner right now rather than a visual learner. I want you just to listen to these words. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. You see, at that point, David is talking about the great shepherd. He says that the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, so I don't have any needs or wants at all. God has provided that. So he's talking about this deep intimacy that David, the created, has with the creator, the shepherd. The Lord is all these things. He's talking about that. But then all of a sudden, something shifts in this psalm. Same psalm, same writer, but there's a shift. He then says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod, your staff, Protect me and comfort me. You prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in your house, the Lord's house, forever. Do you see the shift? David goes from talking about the shepherd to talking to the shepherd, reminding himself of this abiding presence of God in his life. That even though he's walking through death, even though he's walking through the darkest of valleys, the shift says that he is now talking to the shepherd. He is is hearing, talking with the shepherd and abiding in that. Psalm 23 and the the words of John 14 remind us that that God is offering this, this very intimate opportunity to enter into a deeper relationship and to express and to feel his love. Let me end with this. These are some words of Jesus kind of pulled together out of uh, John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life that those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Listen to this. I am alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. But because I live, you shall live also. If you've ever been to a funeral, the odds are that that the officiant begins with this. Because as we come together shrinking and concerned and worried and crying and, and desperate in death, we need those hopeful words of God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life, that whoever believes in me shall never die but live as I live. You see, this this is what happens when we die. We're not left alone. We're not orphaned. We don't need to be afraid for God is with us and God walks with us. So that's what happens. That's how we answer the question. So hopefully we've taken away the fear 
the fear of what happens when I die. Now here's the second reason. Am I right with God? Now some of y'all are looking at your watches going like, oh my gosh, is this going to be another 20 minutes to talk about this? Let me tell you how simple this is. It's not hard. We're the ones that make it hard. We put ourselves into these very dubious processes. It's not hard. How do I get right with God? I simply confess who I am. And I confess who Christ is. So let's do this together today. I want to invite you as you're sitting here, um, as you're at home or whether you're here uh, in the room, I want you to just sit and close your eyes and I want you to place your uh, hands on top of your knees, your palms facing upward. And I want you to adopt this, um, this posture of prayer. So have you ever wondered, am I right with God? Here's your answer. If you're wondering, then maybe you're not. If you are right with God, let me encourage you to quietly pray this prayer as well. But if you're hesitating, if you're not sure, let me encourage you to pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your mind. You can pray it in your heart. It doesn't matter. Just pray it. Forgive me, Lord. I'm a sinner fallen from grace. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ's death to reconcile me to my sin. And through his blood, I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. I accept Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. Listen, I really believe if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I believe you're born again. I believe that Christ is in your life and make today the opportunity to turn your life into his direction and to acknowledge him as king. You see, we no longer need to fear death, folks. Christ has conquered the grave. He comes to invite us, to walk us to the place where we will be. And with God, we need to fear less.